for our discussion today is overcoming racism. And so I'm just going to pray for us and Pastor Gabe and Brother Perry and myself. We're just going to talk about some basic questions. And then at the end, we're going to try and have a question and answer time where we can open it up and have uh, more participation with uh, everyone who's on the call. If you have a specific question or specific um, issue that you'd like to talk about. But I'm just going to open us in prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. So let me pray for us. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to use the Lord's Prayer, so feel free to, uh, to join me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this morning we have four questions that we're going to talk through. And uh, then, like I said, we'll open it up for Q&A. But let me just first read the questions that we're going to be discussing. The first question is, why should racism be discussed in a church setting? Second question is, what is racism? Third question is, <clears throat> experienced racism and how did it occur? And for what can the church do to prevent or to overcome racism? So uh, I'm going to have Pastor Gabe start us off with our first question. Why should racism be discussed in the church setting? Pastor Gabe. <clears throat> Thank you so much, Daryl. Could you please come to and you can hear me? All right, awesome. Well, first of all, <clears throat> greetings from Mexico. And I want to share my joy with you, all of you XICF friends and family, that I was invited to join Daryl and Perry on this theme. Why I am joyful and I, I really, I truly feel honored uh, because I have witnessed the love and respect these two brothers have for each other. And, and so that gives them moral authority to talk about this issue, this important issue, and I feel honored I was invited to join. So I just wanted to share my joy with you. And also before I answer the first question, is that I would like to uh, our leaders to consider for, a, for the future another, another discussion about this. What about uh, cases of racism in the Bible, both positive and negative? and what we do with them. So that's probably for a future discussion if you think that would be something useful, that would be a blessing. All right, why should racism be racism? Sorry, I cannot pronounce that word well. Be discussed in a church setting. Well, I have two answers, uh, the theoretical response and the pragmatic response. First, the theoretical one, because a church is composed of people, right? And all people, have their own particular identity, which that on itself is not bad. Uh, and all people are ethnocentric to a certain degree. What is to be ethnocentric? Well, basically to feel or to think, and sometimes even unconsciously, that my way is that way of doing things. That uh, the way I speak, the way I behave is the normal or the best way to speak and to do things. And therefore, everybody else's way of doing things and speaking and behaving different than mine is not as good as mine. 
and that could apply to race and to many other categories that we artificially invent for our, ourselves. So, uh, to have this ethnocentrism uh, may or may not be bad. It depends how far it goes. Now, the problem is that this ethnocentric point of view or ethnocentrism is the precursor to racism or what we know as racism. And racism is a sinful condition. Therefore, racism should be discussed at church, okay? Because church is made of people. We all are ethnocentric to some degree, and that is the first step to becoming racist. And racism is sinful, therefore, we should talk about that. Thank you. And Brother Perry. Yeah, um, I, think, I think Pastor Gabe has really hit the nail on the head. Um, like he said, um, we, the church is made up of people. The church is the people. And if we want to literally um, advance in unity, like in Psalm 133, Psalm 133 makes us understand how lovely it is for brothers to dwell in unity. And it actually ends in that chapter by saying, that is where the Lord commands his blessing. So if you understand the idea that racism, like Pastor Gabe said, is sinful, and it's a tool of the enemy to bring division, to bring strife, to bring <clears throat> hatred, then it's something the church must be knowledgeable about and to be guided in a biblical perspective to overcome it in general. Amen. So I think, I think it's a very good thing for the church to discuss it. And notwithstanding, I believe the knowledge would go both ways to help us within the church fellowship properly and even outside the church on how we treat people and how we even show love. Because that is what God, uh, Jesus Christ said, they will know us by our love one to another. Yeah, so that is, that is my reason why the church should discuss um, this topic about racism. Amen. Uh, I'd like to read First Timothy 3.15. It describes the church. It says, The church is God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And in some versions of the Bible, it describes the church as a bulwark of the truth, that the church exists to defend the truth and to be a model of kingdom life on the earth. And so um, the church is the only hope of the world. And so the church is not able to uh, provide answers for the crises that the world faces. We are derelict. We fail in our duty to be salt and light and to be a witness of God's kingdom to the world. And so obviously what has brought this topic to the forefront is the recent events in uh, the United States and the, the crisis that has resulted. And um, of course, as an American, and I'm living in America now, so I, I've seen it very um, up close and, and kind of in my face, but um, I think it's also affected the global community as well. And as a multi-ethnic, multi-national uh, church body, I think uh, it's something that, that we would do well to address head on and to recognize and to present God's perspective and, and a biblical perspective on. So let's move on. The, our second question is, what is racism? And Brother Perry, we'll start with you. What is racism? Yeah, I think um, from, a very complex, from a very complex beginning, um, from a very complex understanding, I think um, it's very important to note that racism does not only happen in America. 
I just want to put it out there that racism is not only happening in America. It's just that the death of George, George Floyd has thrown the spotlight on racism. Racism is happening in India, in Africa, in, in Asia, and almost every part of the world. And like Darrell rightly said, it's um, actually a tool for destruction in the world. And literally, racism stands from a belief, a system, or an experiential bias that will literally cause people to look down on a particular race or a particular ethnic group to think that they are superior than them and hence would want to dominate them and could simply be an opinion over a particular group um, as high as, let's say, um, Africans are criminals, um, are confidence tricksters. People, anytime people normally see Africans, they can have a simple view that, ah, I know these people. They are confidence strictest. So be very careful how you deal with them. And to us, as funny as um, um, Asians don't know how to drive. So the very moment you see an Asian sitting beside this, uh, in, the, in the car view, you, you just say, ah, oh, he doesn't know how to drive. Be extra careful. So basically, that's what I would explain as racism. <clears throat> Yeah, Pastor Gay, please. Right. <clears throat> First, I will use the term, quote-unquote, racism, just because it is popular. And so for the sake of communication now with you, I will use it. However, the term racism or racist, or even more important, its root, race, uh, it is not in agreement with a biblical narrative. Therefore, mm -hmm. in my personal thoughts, I react, I reject, I'm sorry, I reject the idea that there are many races in humankind. And so I cannot call this phenomenon racism. Ethnocentrism is a better term in my understanding. Scripture teaches that one single human race got created, and it comes from Adam and Eve, or from Noah and his family, if you would. This single human race multiplied, and at the event of the Tower of Babel, it was dispersed by God to many places on the earth where they were isolated from each other for a good amount of time. Why? Well, first due to geographical distance and natural boundaries, and also due to communication problems due to the different languages they spoke. You know the story. Being in relative isolation and under different climate and geographical locations, naturally, they gradually developed different cultural, linguistic, health and physical features. For example, skin pigmentation, column length, that's a funny data, skin thickness, etc. All these physical changes are the result to adaptation to the environment. But those changes did not create races. It's just small variations of a single race that got created, the human being. So what we have is a single human race with different looks and different behaviors based on their history. That is why when we Christians talk about racism, we are probably unconsciously adopting a non-biblical assumption. So strictly speaking, I cannot talk about racism. That is a non-biblical term and I don't accept it. However, as I said before, just for the sake of communication, I will use it today. I won't make things more complicated for you. So, <laughs> yeah. Racism, which I would rather call ethnocentrism, is making moral judgment 
of others just based on how different they look or how different they are from me. While the most obvious difference is their physical appearance, the truth is that the way they talk and behave also constitute a major component of race, racist prejudices. For example, I have read in a few places that President Obama did not experience too much racism, despite the color of his skin, because, quote, he speaks and behaves like a white man, end of quote. And so it is not only appearance, but it is more than that. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think I have anything to, to add to those really comprehensive definitions, um, except maybe to, to personalize it for me, is that racism is when I, I refuse to acknowledge the individual and rather just see them as a member of a group. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't recognize that this person is like me. Instead, I recognize them as part of a group that's different than me. And I think it's also perhaps uh, helpful to understand that racism is not necessarily binary. It's not I am a racist or I'm not a racist. Racism can kind of be on a, on a spectrum and on a sliding scale. So I think most everybody here knows that my wife is Chinese. But I've met many men who have Chinese wives who are still very racist against Chinese people. And so it's possible to have a, a, an African-American friend or a black friend and to still be racist against black people. And um, so it kind of functions on, on a spectrum. And, and there's kind of this overt racism, which, you know, I suspect if you're at XICF, the, the you, <laughs> this would necessarily be the place for you. And then there are those other subtle, um, just maybe prejudices that we don't even recognize that we have, where we're, where we're making a judgment about someone, not as an individual, but as a member of a group, uh, like Pastor Gabe said, that just looks different than us. Yeah, Donald. Yes, brother. Yeah, just, just to add, I think, like you said, then there is a more complex approach and there are more everyday life kind of approach. The everyday life kind of approach is the more instinct when the way we react or the way we treat people based on prejudices and our own understanding um, about them. And sometimes by virtue of even our experience, um, I remember I met a taxi driver who said he, he doesn't like picking um, um, black people because he was once duped by a black person. And by, because of that, he has built a certain prejudice against black people, and that's in self racism. But the, the furthest extreme point of racism is where it is enshrined in governmental systems, like we see in India, like we see in America, because then it builds a certain um, bias for the distribution of resources and limits the flow of certain um, development in some areas. So I think beyond um, the aspect of everyday living, it goes even deeper than that to even um, siphon resources to a whole city, to a whole um, um, group of people living in a particular region of the country through welfare systems, through educational systems, through financial um, systems, loans and uh, um, grants, all those things. And these are based by the understanding of people people who might normally span from the basic people you meet on the street to people who are in high-ranked authority, 
high rank authority, just to ensure that there is a certain gap, there's a certain level of development, a certain disparity between different ethnic groups or people they, they consider lower and people they consider um, less superior than them. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, question three, have you experienced racism and how did it occur? Uh, Pastor Gay, would you be up for going first this time? Yeah, sure. Uh, first, I would like to say, I wish the question was, can you share with us when you have been racist and mm. did, did, you, did you repent? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to answer that question. We can put that question for the next time we discuss this topic. And, and there's another panel that can answer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here, here's my, my answer. Yes, uh, uh, several times. But let me share with you only three times in three different countries. First, uh, the oldest one is in the United States when a shop's employee publicly made fun of my accent. He was a white, middle-aged man. I remember answering him, quote, the fact that I speak with an accent doesn't mean I think with an accent. He understood my words, I believe, but he couldn't get my meaning to his embarrassment. Now, my meaning was that even though my way of speaking was not fluent, I was still able to think fluently, but he, he, didn't, didn't, get he, it. he didn't get it. <laughs> now, just because of my, of my accent, he, he discriminated me and he made fun of me. The second time happened in China when I went for a physical checkup and the radio radiologist uh, believed I couldn't understand what he was talking about and he started making fun of me with to his colleagues because I was very fat uh, and he said oh these foreigners they are also so fat <laughs> and we Chinese we are in much better shape. And, and, and you know, it, it is true at that time I was, I had a bigger belly than now, but I was not that exaggerated. It was not like anything I had seen in, in Chinese men or Chinese ladies, but still I was discriminated because in his eyes, foreigners are very fat. Now, the last event I would like to share with you happened recently in my own country, in Mexico. The cancer clinic that I attend uh, is by far attended mostly by white Europeans or white Americans. When I arrived uh, for the first time to the branch they had in Cancun, which is a much nicer place than the, the, the original clinic in Tijuana, I was frankly mistreated by the receptionist, who is a Mexican lady, but happens to have a white skin and green eyes. I have analyzed the whole situation several times together with a friend that was with me on that occasion. And our conclusion is that she was being racist against me. I was the only patient there speaking Spanish and with darker skin. And I was the only one that was being mistreated. Well, I need to confess, I lost my cool and I strongly complained with using very strong words. Uh, then the manager came and since that point on, I was treated respectfully. Now, this allows me to make an additional observation that is aligned with what Perry said before. Uh, we Mexicans complain about the racism we suffer in the United States, and that is true. However, we are guilty of the same thing 
when we mistreat other fellow Mexicans. In our country, based on how they look or how they speak and behave, we may discriminate them badly. The most obvious case is when we badly mistreat or even worse, ignore native Mexicans. That means the ones that have zero or minimum European ancestors. Those are the ones that belong to the ethnic minorities that we have in Mexico. We have many, even more than in China. The ones that barely speak Spanish, that live in the countryside, and most of them live in extreme poverty. So we mistreat them just because of their different ethnic background. So we Mexicans complain, but in essence, we do the same when we have the chance. History clearly teaches us that the oppressed easily become the oppressors when they get power. Mm. So let's be careful with that. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Pastor Gay. Brother Perry? Yeah, um, I must say that um, growing up in Ghana, I didn't have any idea about racism. I, I, literally, I literally didn't have any idea. You, you'd watch it in the news, you'd see it in the books, but like, I, I, I was literally um, never used to it. Um, I, I never thought about it. And uh, the first time I stepped out of Ghana was um, to South Africa. And that was um, 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 an, an educational trip. So it wasn't so much of an exposure to people and um, people of other races and other ethnicities and all. But um, the, the reality finally hit me when I arrived um, at Guangzhou. I arrived at Guangzhou um, in 2015 and a lady spat on my foot. <laughs> She spat on my foot, and it was, it was quite, and for me, it was quite intentional because I had been standing there through the bus ride for a long time, and she just spat, and I, I, I was speaking a lot, but I was speaking in English, and I, I now understand what she was saying. What she was saying was Timbutong. She doesn't understand, <laughs> but virtually, I've seen, I've seen um, a lot of this happening um, to me. And for me, it's, it's, it's been um, a reality to understand that there are two reasons for which racism happens. One, and um, um, the prime reason is pride. And the second reason is ignorance, is ignorance. Many, many, the truth is many people who are racist lack knowledge. They lack knowledge, they lack knowledge. And in China, when I sit in the bus, and a lady has to decide to get up or decide to cover their, there was this time I sat in a bus um, um, and a, a, a kid from school had to cover his, his nose throughout the whole journey. Um, sometimes it's, you, you see it and the best thing you do is just console yourself. They, they don't know, they've not been trained properly. They don't understand. Uh, but sometimes it's also exciting when you sit in a bus and someone gets up, you, you have the opportunity to spread up your legs a bit and get more space and you enjoy the, the full bus ride. But I think basically, um, like I said earlier, some, some do know what they're doing, but I must say majority of those I've encountered in China literally are acting because they, they, they've never met a black person before. There was one old lady I met in a bus who literally touched my, my, my skin and would 
smell it and say, ah, she said, it's not dirty. It's not dirty. And I said, yeah, it's not dirty. I buy twice a day. <laughs> so, so it's, and you realize it was genuine. It was genuine. And for my hair, um, you realize I have very different hair. <laughs> so even in class, I remember um, one of my professors would touch my hair, like, you have nice hair, but it's very hard. It's very hard. I feel it will cut me. And I'll be like, and the rest of it all was one day in the law school when a professor asked me, um, how did I arrive in China? And for a minute, for a minute, I didn't get the question, but I realized she was asking whether I came by flight or by the means. So one of my friends, one of my friends told me, tell him you came by bicycle. <laughs> but I, I, I think some of these things, um, they, they really, some of them just um, want to know. But there are some who are actually filled with pride and who feel they don't want to associate with you because they think you are just not good enough, irrespective of. So um, there are papers I wrote in the law school and some of them will read and be like, you didn't write this. And I'm like, I, I wrote this. And they're like, but how come your English is that good? Because I, in Ghana, we speak English throughout and they don't really understand. They, some of them really don't know, but some of them are full of pride. And from my side, like Pastor Gabe said, I have been racist some couple of times. Because sometimes I, I, I sit in a taxi and um, I feel like these guys want to rob me. So I'm always alert. And I didn't know that when you go through the tow booth, you are supposed to pay the taxi driver um, um, for that amount when you go through the tow booth. It's not necessarily shown on the screen. So I, after we went through two tow booths, and I paid what was shown on the screen. The taxi driver was telling me, give me the, and he was showing me the tickets. And I told him no. And he was, he was, he was um, being a bit aggressive, but I, I shouted and then he became quiet. And later when I came and I spoke to Joel, I thank God Joel has, has shown his video now. When I came back, I spoke to Joel and Joel told me, no brother, you are supposed to pay when you go through the tow booth. And I, I, I literally begged for forgiveness from the Lord. I literally, I felt so bad that whole evening. I felt so bad, but I, I still managed to eat. But I felt so bad throughout the whole, the whole evening. And I, I didn't feel so good. So yes, I have been a bit racist to um, um, some people as well. And I did ask for forgiveness. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Um, you know, it's it's hard for me when I hear my my brothers or sister tell a story of of being um, discriminated against. Uh, the truth is, I, I've never experienced discrimination based on my skin color. If anything, uh, certainly the years I lived in China, for the most part, I experienced the the opposite. That usually I was I was treated quite well. I was treated better, perhaps than. Uh, the locals and so i think that's part of um my white brothers and sisters you know we need to we kind of need to acknowledge that um if you haven't i mean i'm sure that the white people in under certain circumstances do face discrimination and and people with prejudices against foreigners or against white people but um in my own personal experience i just haven't and so part of Part of me understanding racism and learning how to overcome it as the body of Christ is being willing to listen and learn from my brothers and sisters who have been through it and to, I think, recognize that I, when you haven't experienced that, 
um, we do well to listen, we do well to learn, and uh, to be slow, perhaps to offer an opinion, if it's something that we haven't ourselves been through. So the, the fourth question is the one I'm looking forward to the most, is what can the church do? And the question says to prevent, but really, I, I want to talk about how the church can overcome racism. Uh, who wants to go first? Because I'm, I'm really excited about this particular topic. Thank you, Barry. Uh, before I forget, in the first question, I told you I had two answers, one theoretical one and a pragmatic one, and I forgot to share the pragmatic answer. If you will allow me, let me quickly share. I lived in Texas in the, in the United States for about four years in a small town. This small town has a big university with faculty and students from all over the world. And so we could not say it is a white town, but there's people from everywhere. However, the most segregated institution in that town, in that society, was the church, the Christian church. So you have the Hispanic church, you have the, Christ, the Chinese church, you have the black church, you have the Anglo, the white church. All, all people from all backgrounds work and study together and socialize during the week. But to church, they segregate. And so that is, that is a problem. Now, at XICF, we have this blessing. But we, we need to be careful with something. Uh, it is not that we are very good. It is because the Lord's mercy, he pushed us into that situation. So we have been learning not only to tolerate each other, but to actually appreciate our differences. Okay, but, but don't lose the picture, the big picture. It is by the Lord's mercy, not because we are very good guys. All right, so now let me get into, uh, for me it is important, uh, prevention, and, and of course also overcoming, but prevention is important. As I said before, ethnocentrism and prejudices are the precursors, precursors the antecedents of racism. I shamefully admit that I have had my own struggles in that area, but the Lord in his mercy brought me into XICF, where I was exposed to so many ethnicities and ways of speaking and behaving. Being intentional of having a diverse leadership, diverse leadership was a great means to learn to appreciate people different than me and to admit that in many cases, they had actually better ideas than myself. Also, I remember that soon after I became the pastor, I added a few policies regarding how to speak at XICF. And one very clear one is that the speaker or the preacher can only talk about his own person, nation, culture, or race if he's going to say anything funny or negative. And I think that is a good measure of prevention. Uh, so that we are not allowed at XICF to speak negatively of anybody else. We were also able to start learning to make a difference between our own traditions and biblical practices. For example, we had some celebrations that were unquestionably at that time regarded as church traditions. We eventually realized they did not represent the international body of Christ but only a segment of the church. So they were more cultural practices 
than biblical practices. This gave us more freedom and a better ground to analyze everything we practiced at church. This self-consciousness was possible by appreciating and giving a voice to brothers and sisters from different ethnic backgrounds. As a collateral consequence, racism was debilitated as at Exaicia. In the church history, after colonialism started to recede, at least in its open expression, it was as accepted that the native churches could have, or should have, the famous three selves. Probably most of you know them. Number one, that native churches should be self-governing. That means they have their own government. Number two, they should be self-propagating. But they don't need external help to do their missions and all that. Number three, they should be self-supporting. No need for offering support, money support coming from other places. So self-governing, self-propagating, and self-supporting. That was quite strong, especially in China, but also happened in Mexico and in many other places. However, in my opinion, a fourth category was never allowed to this day for the most part. And that is for the indigenous church to be self-theologizing. That means to be encouraged and allowed to produce their own theology. This is also a form of racism, in my opinion. The notion that all theological understanding must come from white men from Western countries. This happens still today. I don't have time to explain more, but this is a sad reality still today. When in our church, we allow and encourage brothers and sisters from any latitude of the world to have their own theological and ecclesiological, from the church, ecclesiological understanding, we are also combating racism. Thank you. Brother Perry. Yeah, um, I just I just want to um, start off by saying that um, the the church literally um, is built on fellowship, and I think it's very important to know that when we meet together in the chapel, we fellowship together as a church. But the um, manifestation of that um, glory of the church really begins when you step outside the chapel when you step outside the chapel. So um, whatever that is being shared here, whatever that is being um, discussed here is virtually within two, two aims, to enhance godly fellowship within the chapel and to enhance godly fellowship outside the chapel, godly loving outside the chapel. Um, all I want to begin with is saying that it's very important to empathize, to empathize with people who have experienced any sort of racism. There's an aspect of racism which is called racial privilege. Racial privilege, meaning that because of being a particular person or coming from a particular country, like Daryl said, because maybe he might be um, white, because maybe he might be from the US, you are seen in a particular way. And for instance, that knowing that and also understanding that someone else may not get that privilege 
causes you to actually empathize with them and understand them. I remember when we were looking for a place to rent, and um, I remember that you would contact some people, and as soon as they see you, they would say, no, 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 there's no place. There's no place, there's no place. But I, 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 I want to think that to a large extent, the church needs to get some basic understanding of this to go forward. And the first aspect of that is um, um, empathize. You need to empathize. Um, after being aware of the situation, you must be aware. The beginning of winning any battle is knowing that there is actually a battle. And the truth is we need to be aware that there is something that is happening. Unfortunately, it is happening. And we need to be aware of that. And the second aspect of it is empathizing. And one aspect that is very critical in the way forward is education, education. The first point of education I want to hit on here is spiritual education. When I look in the news, when I see um, um, the Black Lives Matter and I see the riots and all that, I, I don't see a racial war. All I see is a fight with uh, darkness, darkness trying to overcome a country, darkness trying to destroy a country, darkness trying to destroy a people. So all I want to say is that the beginning of every evil and wicked action is darkness. Whether we can physically relate it to it or uh, indirectly or directly related to it, when you see it, don't attack the person, attack the evil influence behind it. So it's very important. And I want us to read the scripture to that effect um, from the book of Timothy. If you have your Bibles, you can open 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. And this is my fear, that not necessarily a fear, a worry, that um, it's true the church would shine brighter, but the church will shine brighter because the world is going to get darker. I'm repeating it again. It's true the church in these last days is going to shine brighter, but it's going to shine brighter because the earth and the world is definitely going to get darker. And 2 Timothy 3, verse 13, it says, but evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. And it says that deceiving and being deceived. So literally evil, darkness, um, um, racism and all that is going to expand. So the, the, the first aspect of education is one, know the source of it, know where it's coming. You don't address an individual. You address the issue, the system, the influence behind it. And I think the second aspect of it is also to read, read um, wide and literally inform yourself because some of the things I, I didn't really know about, for example, um, the, the welfare structures, the financial structures, and I didn't even know that there were some case studies which um, I even legally supported where people went for loans and were rejected just because of how their names sounded, because their names sounded like they were blacks. So it's, it's very important that you need to read and educate yourself. And the uh, other aspect of overcoming is educate yourself and understand the bit of your identity. Who are you? I am filled with love. So when someone touches my skin or when someone um, does a funny thing towards me, the next thing I try to do is remind myself, what am I made of? And I always say this, to a large extent, it is painful. I, 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 I have cried because of some of these actions. I know people who have been broken down because of these actions. But the most important aspect of it is your response. 
the most important aspect of it is your response. Your response will either um, increase the, 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 the destruction or will actually deteriorate the destruction. And the Bible says we are light. We are salt. We bring direction. We bring meaning. We are made of love. Hence, we can love. So it's very important that our response should be love. And for me, the next part of it under education is very critical. Educate your families. Educate your children. We can, we can sometimes not undo the harm that has been done, but we can begin a good cycle, a better generation. Let your children be, be, be understanding when it comes to the aspect of ethn um, ethnocentric differences. Let them know, let them appreciate people for themselves, not because of where they come from or the color of their skin or anything. Educate your family, educate your children. And the next part of it is under education and under implementation is, um, I like this scenario. When someone falls down, when two people are walking and someone falls down, it's very important that it's easier when the person who is standing helps the person who has fallen up. So I just want to say that, um, to those who might not have experienced racism, to those who might be in a better place, the truth is the beginning of the change starts from those at the top. So, and, and I want to merge this point with the aspect of understanding how to be a light in your small way. So let's say you are a, head, a headmaster in a school, you, you own a school. Be intentional about rules, be intentional about guidelines that will ensure a harmony, that will ensure a blend, that will prevent people from being segregated, that will prevent people from being racially abused. If you run a company, ensure you have things in place that are definitely going to, but all this stems from an understanding of love. And I want to read my final scripture before I end. Sorry for taking much time. The final scripture, I'm... Two final scriptures. The first one is Psalm 82, verse 3. Psalm 82, verse 3. Psalm 82, verse 3. And this is what Psalm 82, verse 3 says. Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. So you, you, it's not enough being silent. It's not enough being passive. You need to do something to defend the rights of those who have been abused. It could be that poor Asian lady who is serving as a house help in someone else's house. It could be that um, um, that poor um, um, Mexican who is being um, treated negatively in the shop. But the Bible literally says, defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. And the, the second verse I want to share in that sense is also 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14. And this goes specifically to my brothers and my sisters who might have experienced some sort of racial biases. It says, do everything in love. I want to say that the devil is spreading a lot of hatred by virtue of what is in the media, by virtue of what is all around us. I, sometimes I watch the news and I have to turn it off because I'm seeing so much hatred, so much violence, so much destruction. And this is a plan of the enemy to destroy what the Lord is doing in families, what the Lord is doing in cities. The Bible literally says, pray for your leaders so that there would be peace. What is the peace for? The peace is so that the gospel can advance. The gospel can advance. The gospel can advance. So finally, I just want to say that um, the church literally cannot be in the backseat. The church literally has to play a good role and be in the front seat. And it begins by acting in your small corners. If you want to change the world, you need to change your heart and begin from your family. Amen.
Uh, let me also share scripture. I'll read from Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And now let me... Um, Go over here to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I think we do well to try and get a biblical mindset when we talk about salvation because um, the, the gospel in the, the 20th century Western lens, we think of salvation primarily in terms of the afterlife. But Jesus said that the gospel was the nearness of the kingdom, that the kingdom was close at hand, that it was nearby. And when he drove out demons, he said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come among you. And so I've, we've talked many times at XICF and when I talk to the youth, the kingdom of God is not heaven. And that's really important to remember. Heaven is God's throne and that's where God has kind of the seat of his government. Yeah. But the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus reigns, wherever Jesus has his dominion, the kingdom of God has come into that place. And so the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now, when we talk about salvation, Jesus said, this is eternal life that they might know you and know the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. And so our salvation is not just about going to heaven when we die. Our salvation mm -hmm. is about experiencing Jesus as our king here and now and being connected and having this abundant life. Jesus said that I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And Jesus wants to connect us to his father that we go through life connected with the God who made us as his people doing the things on earth that he has appointed for us to do. And this is walking in the path of salvation. So Christianity in its very early beginnings was called the way, that this was a way of life. This was walking with God. And so as we look at overcoming, whether name your social injustice, any social injustice that we want to overcome as the people of God, we need to recognize that the resources to overcome it are in the kingdom of God and that they're in the gospel. And so the hope of the church to overcome racism is in the kingdom <clears throat> of God. It's not in a, a new president next term. It's not in a new social program that someone's going to put into place. It's not into, you know, those may be fruits of the outworking of the reign of Jesus in our hearts. But the very, mm -hmm. the, the very beginning of it begins with Jesus Christ reigning in the human heart and transforming the human heart to understand that we were created by God and created in his image. So let me read this quote from a book uh, called Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. He said, where did the idea come from of the world gathered together? People of every gender, every nationality, every status, like a family. 
where before Jesus was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, status, income, gender, moral background, or education to be loved and be transformed. Not only had there never been a community like this before, but there had simply never been the idea of a community like this before. It was Jesus's idea. Mm. And so even that our, our world, sometimes we, we, I think we, we don't even see uh, how much Jesus has transformed the world that we live in today in the 21st century, that even non-believers value equality is actually a byproduct of Israel's Messiah coming to the earth and bringing salvation to all people. That now we have this sense of justice. We have this sense that people are created equal. And that is a Judeo-Christian idea. And the hope for this kind of equality comes out of the church, comes out of the kingdom of God. And so uh, we're getting ready to, to open it up for question and answer. But my exhortation to us as the people of God is to say, let us orient our lives around the reign of Jesus as we are more willing to surrender the fullness of our hearts to Jesus, the fullness of our days. How many hours in the day can we be completely surrendered to the kingship of Jesus and give our attention where Paul says, if you live by the spirit, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So we give our attention to the spirit and the Holy Spirit tells us what direction to go. And the Holy Spirit tells us how fast to go there. And the Holy Spirit sets the pace and we, we stay in step with the Holy Spirit that this is the hope for the world. And we must not, like Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel as the church. Mm -hmm. We have to stand and say, you know what? The only solution to this problem is submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. And I would exhort all of my brothers and sisters that the solution to every social ill, but especially racism, is the Lordship of Jesus reigning in our lives, transforming us so that I can look at any person and say, I need to love that person. Let me read one more quote from uh, an early church father. This is uh, Tertullian. He said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. And I would submit that it is the, the transformation of the heart that happens when we surrender to Jesus that causes us to love each other, that gives us hope to overcome racism, that the church I, Pastor Gabe is correct that the church remains one of the most segregated places, certainly in American society, but that despite our, our past failings, we have a, a, a vision that comes from our head that unity is woven into our DNA because mm. the spirit gives us a bond of unity. And, and Paul says, just maintain the bond of unity. Look, I've given it to you. You guys just maintain it. And so we have a unity as believers in Christ that is woven into our spiritual DNA that will overcome our physical DNA that one day we will spend eternity together as one body reigning on the earth in the name of the Messiah. And so uh, it's inevitable, but let us be, uh, let us not resist 
what God's will is and let us be active participants in pursuing what we know to be the will of God, that we be one and we contend for the faith as one man. And so uh, maybe, uh, Pastor Gabe, I'll throw it back to you to see if you have any other comments, and then we'll uh, open it up to question and answer. <clears throat> no more comments for now. Thank you, Darren. Okay, well, uh, we have just a few minutes. So um, if someone has something that you'd like to bring up specifically or a, a question, um, feel free to unmute your microphone, and uh, we can have a brief Q&A time. Uh, hello, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, I don't know if you can see me, so what's fine? It's dark in here. Um, we can see you. I, okay, I have like a kind of long-ish question, but let me go as fast as I can. It'll take two minutes. So basically, I love what you guys said, and um, I really agree with you, Daryl and Perry and Pastor Gabe, about like unity and how the church is supposed to be one. And we're if there was a race, it'd only be the human race. And so. Um, Basically, like according to what Pastor Gabe said, as well as history itself, like the idea of race was like invented about 500 years ago. I don't know if you guys know, a German guy invented it and then someone else, a uh, French guy elaborated on it and kind of gave all those colors and put it on different people. And understanding that means that race does not exist. Those colors do not exist. And we're only, it was only used by very evil people to justify the mistreatment of like billions of people in the world, as we know. Um, so I was wondering if this church Shouldn't the church be the one that first pushes to phase out these arbitrary classifications of human beings? Now, if these classifications came into the world, we can also move to take them out. If that, I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying. So basically like um, words like white and black, I feel like we can phase them out, you know? Like I know it'll be a crazy revolution and it will start very small and maybe take years to happen, but we can phase them out. And I know that like, thing, like I know that the Chinese, they kind of rejected the term of being classified as yellow and they're not okay with it. Um, so I don't know why uh, white and black kind of stayed. Um, and I think that they were wise enough to understand that being on, put on a her um, hierarchy of color is somewhat debilitating. And I was wondering Can the host mute the person? I think the person doesn't know they are, they are speaking. Great. Oh. Okay, so I'll just finish. Um, so I was saying, should we be discussing alternative ways to describe each other, as well as descriptions and terms that further unite us as one human race? Especially because black is derogatory. Um, it came from a derogatory like point, um, and it was not even it wasn't even made to represent the color of our skin. It was like there's so many negative connotations <laughs> of black, with like criminal, undesirable, evil. If you look in the dictionary, black has all bad meanings. And even like in China, they have like a Sao Hei movement, which is terrible. Like you look at Sao Hei and like people call you Hei-Ran. So it's like, you feel bad, you know? So I was just thinking like, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Like should the church be the one to first change the narrative, you know? Like it would take so long to do, but should it start with us, you know? Like even if it's educating one person at a time, like races don't exist. And in the, like I read, I was, I was like reading the Bible and I was like, God, like show me like where this whole thing of race came from. And like, I read through everything and they never mentioned race ever. Like the only time they, they ever mentioned race kind of was when like the girl in Saul of Sam the girl of Song, Song of Solomon was like, oh yeah, I'm dark, but I'm lovely, you know? And like, that's the only time that you see like something really related to understanding what color is. And so like, I feel like God was saying like, it never was that way. Yes, people discriminate against like where you come from, ethnicities, like where you're from, you know, like Galilee, like nothing good comes out of Galilee and things like that. 
And I feel like as a church, we can start the movement to say like, let's stop using white and black. And the last thing I wanna say is that like, I'm from a blended family. So my stepdad is Italian and Polish and my mom is Jamaican. And it's like, it's, it, it's so painful to even like hear white, black, white, black, as if it's a thing, it's not a thing. Everybody came from somewhere, you know what I mean? Like we're all children of God and it's all one human race. We're all from Adam. So I feel like we could start phasing it out together as a church. I don't know what you guys think. We can think of other alternative ways to describe ourselves if we have to describe ourselves. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know. I just, all right, you guys talk, talk. I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think Pastor Gabe even kind of spoke to that a little bit, Pastor Gabe, and saying, you know what? I would rather not even use this term race racism um but because for just for clarity's sake i'll I'll use it but other thoughts on that uh pastor gabe or or brother perry i I believe our terminology is very important i agree with ashley uh if you remember uh, well daryl you also had your contribution there when you talk about music and worship remember uh and and because sometimes we just well you know what I'm talking about. And I mentioned, for example, we call the building church, and we shouldn't. Uh, you could call it sanctuary, temple, chapel, whatever, but not the church. But, but we insist. We are so stubborn. And so maybe we are just lazy, uh, or we don't care. And the same with this terminology. So I, I agree with Ashley. Uh, there's no reason why we should keep using the same terminology that it is actually against the biblical narrative. Uh, and, and so I, I, excuse myself, I excuse myself today at the beginning of the presentation. I might say just for the sake of communication and not messing things up today, but, but keep that in mind. And now uh, her request, could we today propose something? Uh, I, I think it is a very complex problem. Uh, being realistic, I don't think we can do it today. But that is a great question, a great request that I believe we should think about that and start making some proposals, some practical proposals to be in the front seat, as Perry said. The church should be light and should be put in a high place so it can radiate its light and not just following whatever non-believers set the agenda. Uh, we, we shouldn't. That's why I said, literally, I reject the term race talking about the humankind. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Victoria, I want to share something quickly. Um, just my takeaway for today is um, it happens to me oftentimes that I did not mean to be mean. So my takeaway today is I need to be mean. I need to mean to be good. So maybe not all of us have suffered uh, racism against us, but I think most of us have fallen into have some racist thoughts or attitudes towards someone. So even if we did not mean to, but we do need to mean to not fall into that anymore. And as I think it was Perry who said, uh, let's start with each one of us. How do we change the world? Well, starting with myself, be more aware and be intentional 
I am learning to be intentional uh, on not just avoiding the not nice, but intentionally being nice. Yeah, Brother Darum, I think um, on the point of the connotation of racism, I think it's um, very critical to understand how we fight um, against some of these changes. Um, it's very important to fight in the right direction. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into legal research, international law research, and the best way to begin any change is through contextual legal reforms where you change the laws pertaining something. And with reference to language, the best way to change a language is through reforms through the basic context of um, um, linguistics and other aspects. So yes, something can be done. We could start a movement or start um, write a letter just directly to co-host or um, integral aspects of linguistics to reconsider the addition of the word racism in everyday languages and completely rule out the understanding of what, like Ashley said, the German guy or the French guy reported. But secondly, also, I know, um, Dao, you know Kobe Black. You, you know Kobe Black, the guy who does the sound. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember, I remember the day um, Dao asked him, um, how, how should I call him? He said, call me Black. And and that was said, no, <laughs> I'm not calling you black. I think I, I, I laughed. I laughed a bit at it because Kobe um, is is dark. He's darker than I am. Um, he's darker than I am. And um, the good thing is, he, he, yesterday we had lunch together, and he told me, Perry, I'm dark, and I appreciate how dark I am. So normally people feel it's insulting when they tell me, Kobe, you are dark. So they normally. The reason why I call myself um, Kobe Black is so I kick the elephant out of the room so that then you, you know I'm already dark, I'm already black, and I appreciate it. I love the way I look. That's what Kobe was saying. And for me, that was a huge eye-opener. When someone calls me and says, hey, um, go talk to the dark guy, go talk to the black guy over there, um, two things come to mind. One, description, and two, motive motive so if someone is going to call you um a dark colored lady it try and discern the motive behind it as well the fact that um people have used it negatively um if i'm trying to describe daryl to somebody one of the key things i would say is he's white from the usa i it doesn't mean i'm putting him in a certain place or so one key thing to also look at is the motive the motive, try and understand the motive. But basically, like Madam Victoria said, it begins from us, it begins from understanding and being intentional about bringing change. Amen. Can I just add something really quick? Really quick. Go. Okay, so like, Perry, what you just said, it was super cute and I love when people like love that. But um, if you look at historically what the meaning is, it was always intended and it was, it was, a, it was, it was kind of, it doesn't matter. The point is that there are alternatives and I'll say them really quick. We could always talk about where someone's from. Like my dad's Italian and Polish. From that, you can get like kind of an idea of like how he may look, you know, and like we don't have to necessarily say that like, oh, we have to describe someone based on like how, like what race they are. We don't have to, there's other ways. And if someone is 
like abundant in melanin, then you could say that, yeah, they're, they're abundant in melanin. That sounds really, really good. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying that there are alternatives. And if you guys want some alternatives, then definitely contact me and I'll give you like so many that you can talk to your kids about and talk to your friends about and correct people when they say like, oh, hey, and okay, that's all. So you can definitely contact me. I'm here and I'm ready. Uh, I am then like maybe 70% melatonin. What would you say? <laughs> okay. Uh, actually, I appreciate, I think that's good. And I, I would be curious. So, uh, yeah, sign me up and send me your uh, we'll, we'll recommendations later. Yeah. Okay. Yako, over to you, brother. Uh, this will be our last question. Sorry, family, but we'll let Yako go and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Okay, so please, uh, nobody call me lacking in melanin. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, I'm, ju I'm, just, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Come on, guys, you know me. Okay, uh, so, so uh, I, I just wanted to ask a question. For me, as someone uh, looking at my church leadership, for me, this would be a very important question to hear what my church leadership thinks about this. So this is why I want to pose this question so that everybody can hear. Um, because obviously we're discussing racism because of the George Floyd thing and, and all the stuff going on around it. So um, the other stuff that's come along with it, like the, um, the continued guilt of uh, uh, carried along your race and the continued uh, owing of a debt um, to repent uh, for the sins of our forefathers and stuff. I would like, I would like to hear what you guys, what your opinion is on that. Um, that's being carried forward by the, by the Black Lives Matter movement. And I don't want to make this too political, but I, but I feel that that's, a, for me, an important theological area um, to, to understand where your leadership stands. So, so I, would, I, would love, I would love you guys to just tell everyone where, where we stand as a church on that. Well, I, Jaco, I'm uh, hesitant to try and represent the whole church without kind of uh, getting the elders together and responding more formally. Um, so I don't want to not answer your question, but let me answer it with the caveat that I'm answering for Daryl. And uh, I am an elder, but uh, sometimes... I think things and then I discuss it with my elder brethren and they show me that I'm wrong. And so this could end up being one of those things. Um, let me just say this. I believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so when I see teachings that you need to go back and cleanse your bloodline and you need to repent of, you know, how many, my question is how many generations back do I have to go? Because if I have to own up to all of the sins committed for all of my uh, ancestors, how could I possibly be able to name them all? And so I think um, in terms of what it means to be free from sin um, and, and be righteous before God, I believe that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all iniquity. I don't... Uh, I don't think that I need to repent for the sins of my fathers or my grandfathers or my great-great-grandfathers. I think, though, 
And I know this is, uh, this is going to be touchy, right? Because you're South African and I'm American. Um, but there is certainly going to be some contextual baggage for um, our position in our societies and the price that it was paid to get there. And so I think it's, it's helpful to recognize <clears throat> that every country, every piece of dirt that is held by a nation is held through violence. And that is how nations are established and that is how nations are maintained. And without violence, there is no nation state. A nation state is maintained solely through violence and power. And so when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, and when I say we have to overcome racism through the resources provided by the kingdom of God, I'm talking about establishing a kingdom not through violence, but through the transformation of people's hearts. And so eventually the United States is going to disintegrate and be gone from the face of the earth. Eventually England is every earthly government is going to be destroyed like the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had where the, the statue turned to dust and it was blown away in such a way that you couldn't even tell it had been there. Every single nation is going to be wiped from the face of the earth and King Jesus is going to reign forever with his church. And so yeah. that would be my response to um, kind of the identity politics that people would try to use to solve this problem. Identity politics isn't going to solve the social ill of racism. It's going to have to be the reign of Jesus in human hearts. And so I don't know, Jocko, if I've answered your question, but um, that, was my, that was my best effort. Maybe if I could go before Pastor Gay would speak on it, maybe he would have a more in-depth. Um, but one thing I can say, not for the leadership again, but one thing I've seen well done in XICF is being intentional about diversity. I've heard Pastor Gabe say over and over again that let's make sure everybody is um, um, evenly represented when it comes to the leadership. I think it's very important to take note of that, and that is a step in the right direction. One thing I can say also is it's not so good when you try to make a whirlwind out of something that has happened beyond a particular person. So one thing I always advise my friends, especially the black, um, the black community or the high melan melancholic um, melanin uh, incorporated community, I, 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 try to, I try to let them know that um, one, you need to understand that when you see um, um, a lower melanin incorporated person, a white person, you need to understand that the white person um, is, is, is approaching you in his own identity, in his own understanding of love. When I meet Daryl and I'm talking to Daryl and I hug Daryl and we pray together, I relate to Daryl for who he is and what he has done and how of a blessing he has been to me and how much of the value he understands our friendship. So I relate to him on that. I don't just see him and start thinking about the things white people did to my ancestors and all that. Yes, it has happened, but from my point, I feel it's very important not to relate to people based on that point of view. The very moment you start doing that, you yourself, you are being biased in that sense. You yourself, you are being biased. You're already placing someone in a context where the person is not. And the aspect of 
um, 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 you being a white relating to someone in that, 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 that colored person on that space. It's very important not to also just rubbish that claim of, um, I think someone is moving something on top of my it's not, it's, not, it's not good to just rubbish the claim that, um, oh, you were not there, so why are you even bothered about that? No, it doesn't matter, don't even, no. It's very important to um, empathize. You need to empathize, um, um, be affectionate to that person because the truth is they might not have gone through the feeling, but they are still receiving the backlashes of the systems that have been put in place over the long years. So just empathize with them and to a large extent, to a large extent, use that opportunity of your relationship to show the person true love. But from the church leadership, I think Pastor Gabe will have a more strong statement to that. Thank you. I think Daryl's answer is quite on target and it is quite good, but only from the legal perspective. And, and you know, let's remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Did he have a legal obligation to do what he did? No. But he was beyond the legal perspective. He chose to be kind. And so let's imagine that a Spaniard pastor, a pastor coming from Spain, comes to my church in Mexico, which by the way, that's a theoretical thing. I don't have a church yet here, but <laughs> let's suppose he comes to preach. And then he says, you know, my brothers and sisters, my Mexican fellow sisters and brothers, I really feel sorry for what my ancestors did to your ancestors. And in the name of Christianity, they committed genocide and all those things. Then I could honestly and sincerely give exactly Daryl's answer. And I would say, you don't have the need to say that because Christ, etc. And I would give exactly what Daryl said. However, what a blessing to hear a good heart and your kindness. You don't need to, but we appreciate that. And you know, hundreds of British, American, and other missionaries have come to Mexico. And probably they have been a few with that good heart. But sadly, that's the exception, not the norm. They are rather thinking on that argument that why I should do that. And we don't see a humble and kind heart. We see a legalist heart, correcting his legal argument, but lacking something that probably is most needed. Now, I am speaking from the perspective of having been colonized, having been stolen more than half our land, having, well, I'd rather stop there. Uh, and so I hope I'm, I'm making myself clear. We need to be correct, yes, but it is also good to be kind. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, Jaco, it's, it's, 
I don't know that there are any easy answers, and so I don't want to give uh, some kind of cliche, but I think if we would let the Spirit lead us, and if the Spirit were to tell us, you know what, you need to go ask for forgiveness from these people, not because you're obligated to legally, but because I'm asking you to. And if you're, and, and, and in those moments where God asks us to do something uh, that we perhaps uh, don't have a legal obligation to do, maybe we create opportunities for his work in our midst. Um, uh, again, Yako, I don't know if we answered your question, but I think uh, it's 10, well, it's 1020 in Colorado. I don't know what time that makes it in China. It makes it lunchtime in China. That's what I know. So, um, Yako, maybe we can follow up and, and take it deeper um, another time. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us this long. I'm going to turn it back over to our MC, Brother Joel.